This is a Power 98.7 podcast. Now we're talking. Subscribe to Power 98.7 podcasts in iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. There's more on power987.co.za. You're listening to Yaratombele on Power 98.7. All right, so thank you very much to the news teams. Thank you to Risho Getsui. So last Monday, the Department of Human Settlements presented the draft white paper on human settlements to the Portfolio Committee in Parliament. The document, said to be quite comprehensive, looks at various aspects of providing social housing in, in the country. Uh, subsidized housing is one component. Um, upgrading informal settlements is another component. Affordable rental housing I think that's the real social housing, actually. Um, The different funding models and identifying land that's available. And what is hoped is that um, eventually this white paper would form the foundation for a renewed Human Settlements Act. Currently, there's a Human Settlements Act of 2008, um, which really outlines the policy for the provision of uh, basic housing and services in the country. And all of this is enshrined in Section 26 of the Constitution as well. So let's just get a sense of what's to be done and whether or not um, this draft white paper does really create a building block for a newly uh, invigorated human settlements policy approach and law as well. Uh, We're looking at a total of about 3,445 projects across nine provinces um, over the next financial year or in the past financial year as well. So there's quite a bit of a a backlog um, as well. And so it's dealing with that backlog and then looking at what the future demand is like. Let's just ask the Minister of Human Settlements, Mamuloko Kubai, to just clarify a lot of these issues for us and just pave the way. Good morning. Good morning to you and good morning to your listeners. Thank you so much for coming through. Minister, let's just start firstly with a little bit of a controversy. Let's just clarify first and foremost your position on this. I know you say the state can't do it alone, but have you said that it's not the government's job to provide social housing? I think let's start here. Social, I don't know. I think there's quite a lot of misunderstanding of what we do yeah. and what the policy are. Yeah. If you understand social housing, let's start here. Social housing is what we do for people who are renting. Mm. So when you, you see the high apartments mm. that are driven by private sector in partnership with government, mm. where we give grants, Mm. And then what we do is that the Social Housing Institute, which is a, a private company, mm. will build um, in support, um, supported by government through either they do the loans, others they get money from their banks. And then we support the beneficiaries through reduction of um, the payments of the um, rental amount. So that's what social housing is. Mm. We've got social housing, we've got community rental housing projects, and then we've got what we call BNGs, which is RDPs. Mm. Those are for free for South Africans who are indigent and most needy mm. um, and you're vulnerable. Those continue, is, and it's the basis of the constitutional uh, obligations that we have. Mm. Issues such as free water um, and or access to water 
and access to sanitation. For example, when we deal with informal settlements, even if people have been able to put themselves, we go into these areas and provide mm. for um, water and, service and, and sanitation in a temporary basis while we're dealing with the upgrading of right. informal settlements on relocation. That is the constitutional imperative on us, and that's what we are doing. Okay. What we were clarifying is that people in the public assume that everything um, needs to be provided by government. Mm-hmm. And we're saying the obligation on government to provide shelter is to the vulnerable, mm-hmm. the needy, and the indigent. Right. And to provide conducive environment for shelter to South Africans. Okay. And this context as well goes into what we were debating to say, should we put a, one of the proposals in the policy says we need to regulate the banking sector yeah. and put a policy in place to be able to protect home buyers in terms of their bonds. Yeah. Those who have been able to buy a bond for 20 years, their bond would be 20 years, they pay for 19 years. On the 20th year, yeah. they lose a, their jobs and yeah. therefore they find themselves vulnerable on the streets yeah. when they are left with minimum amount. And what the proposal says is that we have a constitutional obligation to provide a conducive environment and therefore can we be able to be uh, put a legislative okay. mechanisms in place. That's the context okay. of the debate. You've, you've said many, so what many, I raised mm, is the debate okay. in the policy reform. Okay, you've said many, many things and I am hoping we can just simplify it uh, just so that we can really uh, digest everything properly. Okay, mm-hmm. so from what you are saying to me is that we have to recognize that, yes, there is a constitutional imperative. It is then Section 26, no argument. But that constitutional imperative really applies fundamentally to the most vulnerable in need and indigent. And this category of social housing is what we loosely call... Ma'am? So it's not for social housing. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, oh, I got you. Ma- yeah, it's RTP. Yes, okay. Social let's break it down. Is for the other minister, let's, m- minister, let's let's simplify yes. it. I got you. I'm trying to help you make it make sense. Okay. So the constitutional imperative that that you have as government is to make sure that no South African is left without shelter. That's that's the principle, yes. and the needy will be catered for in what we call RDP housing, free housing, whatever. That's what that Correct. category of housing is. You oh. then recognize that there are South Africans who need some support, but mm-hmm. by and large can uh, fund their own dwelling, but they need a little bit of help. That's the second category, what we call social housing. Good. And that social housing will have private sector players coming through or government agencies coming through to help to subsidize and raise capital for the build project. That's another category. Then there's even a third category where, you know, people might not quite afford the bonded housing of banks, for instance, but can afford to pay towards a house of their own if there is some sort of an affordability subsidy, there's another category. And across the, across the platforms, government has a role to play, whether through government agencies, funding agencies, the ministry itself, local government, or the private sector. And so what you need to identify are those models of those people who are best placed to deploy capital 
in these different categories because you can gauge affordability, rentals, and who can pay back and who can't pay back and who absolutely cannot pay. And so you need that system to delineate. Correct. Right. Now, this new settlements uh, white paper that you're presenting is looking at all of these different categories and modalities of how to fund it and who needs to be spoken to in terms of unlocking capital or seeing whether the capital needs to come from the treasury. Right. Okay. So we are clear. I think the listeners are clear. I am clear. So what is now the proposal? What have you discovered about the housing needs in the country and what are you proposing? Yeah, what we are now picking up, for example, as I'm saying, with the bonnet houses, we currently don't have a policy that protects even those of us that are in the first home not protected. So one of the proposals that is coming through is that can you do a mechanism mechanism to protect those ones? If I've paid for 19 years, mm. on the 20th I lose my job. Can you try and, and protect me as a buyer, as a consumer, but as a person that should not end up on the list of needing a PNG or being homeless? Yeah. That's the first um, area. The second one on our social housing, they are saying, don't do perpetual renting. Can you look at options? Because sorry, currently we don't have rent-to-own model. Mm. What we have is rental perpetually. So people are saying, we rent in these places. For example, somebody rents for 20 years and yeah. they become an older person. Some of them even become um, senior citizens. Are you going to evict them? It becomes a crisis. So what they are proposing is that, can you do a model of rent to own so that you are able to deal with that category as well? So it's one of those that um, we are receiving as a proposal. Another issue that comes in uh, with the BNGs if you remember, it will be the issue of those who, um, in terms of policy, says you can sell your RDP mm. after eight years of ownership. Okay. Um, and therefore, but you must sell it back to the state. And my issue was, I've been a minister since 2021. I've never received somebody that comes to us or a form or any application to say, I'm intending to sell, therefore, can I sell back to the state? But we do know practically that people are selling. Now, others are saying to us, Change that and ban selling completely so that you know that you don't have to verify whether this person has been eight years in the houses because the argument is that um, sometimes these people, when they sell, then they are dependents, mm. then come back to meet the RDPs themselves mm. from mm. the state. But others, the other argument, contrary to their saying, but you are saying to us, these houses are an asset, an economic asset in our hands. Yeah. Now, why do you want to dictate to us what we do with it when you have given us yeah. a title deed? When we have a title deed, the government should get out of it because it's now, now my, my property. property. Mm. So it's those things. Okay. Just clarify for us what are the rules around RDP because as we've already established, RDP is for the most indigent, in need, desperate families. So the whole reason you got given a free house uh, in the first place was that you couldn't afford it but your dignity to shelter was recognized. Why would you want to sell that? Yeah, that's that's the issue. Um, you know, in practical terms, we've been able to give houses, um, as we say, you've got about 4.7 that we've been able to hand out. Yeah. And at the time, as qualifying criteria, it says you must be any less than 3,500. Right. 
um, you must be um, a person that is a South African citizen. Mm. You've never owned a property, then you get it. And at times we do give, for example, a house to a 40-year-old. Okay. Over time, then their economic environment improves. Right. That's what some of the instances happens. The person then gets a better job. They can afford to go and live in another area or they move out of that province that they stay to another province, get a better opportunity, they work. Right. And some of the instances are those that people then would say. But others, to be honest with you, it's, it's lack of knowledge and finding people who literally, uh, I can say, scribblers. And mm. go because they don't even know the value of the property. Some of them would sell them for fifteen thousand, twenty thousand. Others will tell you that I was desperate because my children were going to school. Mm. I needed to get them transport to go to school. Mm. So it's different reasons that you find. Okay. But the reality is, some of them literally will sell the RDP, go back and live in a shack, or rent it out, go back and live in a shack. And you can't ring fence. I don't even know if that's the right word, but you can't introduce a set of rules that kind of stops people from um, selling the homes or renting out the rooms for a while. Oh, that's not very nice, is it? (laughs) Okay, the minister's line uh, dropped, uh, but you can see she's enthusiastic to have this conversation just to really uh, clarify for us what's being proposed in a draft white paper on human settlements. Proposals put forward to the Portfolio Committee in Parliament. She is Mamoloko Kubai, the Minister of Human Settlements, and we know that South Africa has a huge housing need. There are backlogs uh, that affect about 3,445 projects uh, across nine provinces. There's a huge housing deficit. We know the the pace of urbanization means that many people are now finding themselves settling in the cities. The cities are bulging at the seams um, and there's just not enough land space in and around big metropolitan areas to cater for the housing need and that's led to a mushrooming of informal settlements and those people need to be settled somewhere. Um, stable safe and secure. We've seen what's happened with the flooding in KwaZulu-Natal, for instance. Once the rains come, people living in low-lying marsh areas, uh, marshland areas, uh, their homes, their informal homes get washed away. And so these are some of the things that also need to be addressed. And then there are people coming into the employment sector, into the formal market, entry level. They first can't quite afford a home of their own, but they can pay some rent. Their economic circumstances improve. They can then afford a bonded home. And it's about finding those categories of support is what the minister has been trying to explain to us. Uh, Mamulu Kokubai is back with us, back online. Minister, uh, let's just answer this question very quickly. The backlog, the incomplete projects, almost 3,500. And we know the perennial complaints. I've been waiting for my RDP for 10 years, 15 years. It's not coming. There's corruption in the system. What are you doing to fast track the build and to clean up the system? Yeah, with um, the block project, when I got into the portfolio in 2021, mm-hmm. we committed a process of restarting the project in various provinces, which yeah. we have. Um, and they, we, because we couldn't afford when we, to, to unblock them completely. Yeah. When we looked at it, for example, across the provinces, we realized that in terms of the amount at that time, we were going to need about $3 billion to be able to revive all those projects, oh. get them back. So what we did over time in the financial year, for example, 2022, 2023, we brought back 
the blocked projects, all, almost all of them which we brought were, were 320. Mm. And they were part of what has been implemented. So you could find those projects coming back, uh, being able to be concluded. Major ones you'd see in Gauteng, about 56, in Free State, 97, in, um, in Eastern Cape was 90. 77, sorry, mm. and quite a lot um, in terms of other areas. But in Northern Cape and in Western Cape, we have the least in terms of Northern okay. Cape, Mpumalanga, and Western Cape, for example, in Western Cape, we had about three at that time, but we're back in the project. Um, and that's why we had to have a conversation with the province. Okay. In Northern Cape, there were not much because they focus on service sites a lot. Mm. So we didn't have a lot of blocked projects. Again, in Mpumalanga, we didn't have blocked projects because Mpumalanga has been performing quite okay. well in terms of delivery of the houses. So we're tracking that across the provinces annually to ensure that okay. what we had committed on a three-year process is done. What what it reveals also is the Free State seems to be having a particular problem. They have the highest number of blocked or incomplete projects. What's going on there? Yeah, the Free State, we had quite a number of challenges uh, if I may be honest with you, and that's why we have quite a number of court challenges or mm. court processes there. One would have been because of one it would have been the one billion of material, yeah. which was literally reflected in various projects level because it was in different major, um, provinces, sorry, different municipalities. Yeah. So that would have been the problem. But again, it would have been projects, for example, that were started. Um, when we went back to dig deeper, we realized that those projects, for example, it would have been to put uh, service sites. Um, in informal settlements, right. instead of doing 1,200, a service provider will do 1,000. Yeah. Those who have been able to easily revive to get the service providers to conclude the 200, right. we were giving them letters of demand because the payments would have been done. Where there were no payments concluded, then we would do an agreement. Okay. Either a new contractor would come on site. We had several of the uh, social housing that we had to revive as well, which I visited from 2021 mm. that we brought back on, online. Okay, let's talk about um, informal settlements because this one is a very tricky one, right? Um, mm-hmm. We're seeing the the cities are bulging at the seams. People are moving into metropolitan areas, particularly Eteguini, uh, Johannesburg, Pretoria, uh, the city of Cape Town. There's not enough land mass. There's a lot of demand. It's mushrooming. It's led to a mushrooming of informal settlements. And people just simply say, why can't they just resettle people? Why can't they just give them houses? And your response to that is what? Look, the the first issue is to acknowledge that yes, inner cities are becoming or, or urban areas are mm. are literally becoming congested in terms of inward migration, mm. both in terms of metros and your secondary cities. Mm. Um, the opportunity that exists there, and that's what we having conversations with metros, public works, and all other stakeholders in terms of property ownership. Mm. If you look in many of the cities, their buildings that were previously, for example, would have been offices that would want to repurpose and convert them into residential areas. This is what other countries are doing as a trend, where you either provide for rent-to-own, rental space, but also for fully ownership in terms of apartments, especially for those who are coming into the urban areas. What we have done as a profiling of understanding the informal settlements across the country was that almost 80% of the people who are in informal settlements are not categories for your PNGs. So these are people who own properties uh, somewhere else 
and because you own, you will not qualify for a PNG. Mm. And then those will be other people who are having an income. They will have an income that is not very high, but it's it's low, it's higher than you qualifying for yeah. a PNG. So those are the people, and that's why our idea is to deal with more around gap market. Uh, that's what we do. We're having quite a lot of discussions and hoping that we can be able to sign an MOU with the banking sector ah. to come on board to try and provide support. We want entrepreneurs to be providers where we provide a level of mm. some grant from our side and also for the banks to come and support the mm. entrepreneurs, especially on inner cities. What they have raised, um, if I may say, yeah. is the issue of security. So they are saying, can you assure us if we come into these inner cities, these buildings will not be hijacked yeah. so that the property owner doesn't lose while they are owning the banks. Mm. And that's what we have to work around with the security cluster to be able to ensure. But we've seen the work that they are doing with private sectors partnership. We think that this will be extended to right. us to be able to gain. So just them. to be clear for this, for this particular category, you're not saying all of them, but many people in informal settlements are actually people who have come for opportunities can afford some kind of a rental or can afford to pay their way but because there's just no space they end up living in a makeshift space if there was a place where they could be resettled a repurposed office block whatever the case may be they can actually pay their way and they probably already own a property in eastern cape or kwazulu natal which means they don't qualify then for subsidized housing mm-hmm. uh-huh. definitely Actually, we're finding, I was in Cape Town in one of the informal settlements. We found that people actually rent a shack for almost around 1500 And when I shared with them to say, no, 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 in Department of Human Settlement, we in social housing apply, you can qualify. So we've seen the demand. When we launched the Goodwood uh, social housing project, yeah. the owner that the SHI said to us, just for the 120 units, he received 7,000 applications of qualifying beneficiaries. So it tells you about the demand. And these are the people, when you talk to them, they say, I lived in a backyard, mm. I lived in an informal settlement. Mm. So the, the opportunity exists okay. there for partnership with private sector to be able to respond right. in that. And I do say that within that informal settlement, there are those that need our help in terms of PNG. Okay. Minister, I've got a question from a listener who was struggling to get through just very briefly. Uh, he mm-hmm. says his grandmother had applied for an RDP house 18 years ago, but the grandmother has since passed on without receiving the house. So the family would like to know what happens to the application of the grandmother. Can the family still receive the house on her behalf? Unfortunately not. The beneficiary becomes an individual. When you do an assessment, you do an assessment on the individual. Um, So as a family member, one in the family will have to apply. We assess that person, whether they are indigent, whether they do not have an income and all those things. So it's not automatically transferred, especially if they have not taken ownership of the house. It's not automatically transferred. And and finally, okay, so it's a draft white paper, still a lot of discussions to take place. If everything passes through, what happens next? What's the next step here? Yeah, we are appealing to South Africans to really look at the document and make submissions. Um, we don't claim to know everything. They are suggesting that their experiences on the ground will help. Um, so once the closing date approaches, we will then take all the inputs that we have received, review what um, 
the proposals are saying, look at it and then take it to the cabinet process. After that, then we'll start the process of reviewing the housing code and also the reviewing the housing act to becoming a human settlement act and a human settlement code because we're no longer only focusing on the houses but also the social amenities and what to force everybody to understand that as we build, we must have schools, we must build clinics and everything and all the sector departments and all the sister departments must play a role. Okay. The Minister of Human Settlements, Mamuloko Kubai, please make your submissions, ladies and gentlemen, concerning the draft white paper on human settlements. You've been listening to a Power 98.7 podcast. For more podcasts, visit power987.co.za or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.